RadioInfluence.com. You've seen Chef Brian Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Good morning, everybody. It is Friday. Yep, Friday. Friday at the end of March. Like, how the hell does that happen that we are that far into this year already? Man, we're moving into April. Like, that's just craziness. Um, Kind of a fun week coming up uh, this week because we are doing – I just got finished doing nightclub and bar uh, out in Vegas, which was a massive, massive, massive show. Um, and it was uh, just record-breaking audiences. Um, the uh, the speaker sessions that happened on Monday were just brilliant. I can't wait to get down uh, to do our, our admin board stuff for the nightclub and bar show where we can talk about the successes, which is really something that I'm super excited for. You know, I've been on the board uh, for a little over two years for nightclub and bar, and I'm super, super happy about the direction that it's going and and where we're going from. Um, but, uh, but before I start talking, uh, no, you know what? I'm just going to continue. Why not? It's my fucking show. I can do whatever I want. So, uh, nightclub and bar, like I said, was just a huge show. Uh, the food and beverage innovation center, uh, was another success as well out there with all the stuff that we did with all of my chefs and my guys and everybody being out there. So we're really stoked about that. I want to do, um, couple really quick shout outs to some people for some thank yous. You know, I want to thank, uh, all the chefs that were out there to help us out. Um, between uh, the uh, Culinary Academy at Las Vegas. I want to thank Chef Rosito from Providence, Rhode Island uh, for his help. I want to thank all of the students that came out, the 26 culinary students, the eight mixology students. Um, I'm really stoked to to see what goes on with this crew for the next year coming up. I want to thank a couple of our sponsors that were out there as well uh, for Nightclub and Bar, which is definitely I want to thank Chef's Warehouse for all of the support that they've given us, given us for the last two years. Huge amount of food coming out to do these demos. Middleby Equipment and all the stuff that they do between Blodgett and Perfect Fry and Turbo Chef and the Induction Cook Tech, uh, you know, all that stuff that came out there to help us out. Plus the sponsors that we had for the section itself, California Walnut Board, huge. Everybody get out there and get some California Walnuts. Um, I want to thank Uber Tools and Ergo Chef and ChefWorks and Henkelman and Fusion Chef um, for all the stuff that they did with Roboku. Uh, We had a huge amount of people uh, show up for this show and we're really excited for what happened with it. So, So for next year, we're really going to kind of see uh, what direction we're going to go. You know, how many chefs am I bringing out? This year we brought seven. So this year we talked to Panini Pete uh, from Alabama. All these guys have been on the show. Panini Pete, Matt Varga uh, from Providence, Rhode Island. Chad Rosenthal from Philly. Nick Liberato from L.A. Um, Kayla Robeson out of Cincinnati. Um, uh, is that everybody? We've got Nick Liberato. We've got Panini Pete. We've got, uh, Keith Breedlove out of Sacramento. How can I even forget the culinary, culinary cruiser, man? So Nick, Pete, Kayla, Keith, Chad, Matt, and Russ done. And me, I was out there too. I showed up. It was nice. It was a good day. Um, a lot of fun to be had, uh, went out, had some great meals, had a lot of fun. Uh, the week before, 
uh, I left. I actually took a day, like a personal day on Sunday. I headed down to Fort Myers, Florida on Friday the 16th to go down and get ready for St. Patrick's Day. It's something really fun that I do every year. This year, we banged out a little over 500 corned beef and cabbage cheesesteaks, crushed them, sold them all day long. So what we do is we take uh, cabbage and onions and carrots and we braise them off um, almost like uh, just on a flat top. We kind of griddle them up, get them all ready to rock and roll with some salt and pepper and uh, some marjoram that goes over top of it. Uh, and we cook that down. Uh, so it's super soft and super sweet. All those good flavors start to come out, that really good sweetness from the carrots and the onions really just kind of lays true throughout that whole thing. It was beautiful. I really was very happy with them. Um, we then take the corned beef. We drop it on the flat top, man. We got to get a little caramelization on there, get them super sexy. And then we lay that, that, that cabbage, onions, and uh, carrots right over top of it. And then I top the whole thing with Swiss cheese and American cheese. And then we fold it up and then we chop it up. And then we put it on a really good Amoroso roll with some spicy brown Golden's mustard. That's like good shit right there. That's like a great sandwich. And we loaded it up. I think we only had like 40 pounds of corned beef left over from the day. So it was a really good day um, to be down there. Uh, Fort Myers, Florida, City Tavern right on Bay. These guys do an amazing job for operations. Definitely get down and check them out. And then the next day, uh, I woke up and I was able to go out and hop on a boat where we went about 60 miles out into the Gulf of Mexico, um, out of Fort Myers. And I was with my buddy Kevin and uh, my buddy Darren. Big B was down there. Uh, we also had Kerry Trotter, who is an amazing and absolutely unbelievable guide when it comes to this stuff. The spots that he knows of are just unmatched, man. You know, he's a, he's really kind of a wizard in a way um, within the ways to catch fish and, and how to do that. Um, he doesn't have an Instagram or any of that stuff. He doesn't advertise his business, but he's a wonderful, wonderful captain who just knows um, the spots to go. Took us to a couple of his favorite little secret spots that we got to hang out in. Um, I caught some fish, man. I caught some fish. I got a 65-pound Goliath grouper, also known as a Jewfish. Uh, I don't know why it was called a Jewfish, but they changed the name to be politically correct so that it is now called a Goliath grouper, um, which he was about 65 pounds. I fought him for about 15 minutes, give or take, um, dragged him right up to the top. He was a beautiful, beautiful fish, just massive. Uh, we released him, and then I had uh, – a whole bunch of mangrove snappers that I ended up cutting. They were they were a lot of fun to fight. Five, six, seven, eight pound fish um, coming in. Ten pound fish. We pulled in a couple of those. I got some red grouper. One of my first fish that I caught was a red grouper. That was huge. It was like twenty four, no, twenty six inches long. Then I got a huge cobia that was thirty two inches long. I got an amberjack that was like thirty six, thirty seven inches long. We threw those guys back. Well, we kept the cobia. Um, the amberjack had to go back because it wasn't amberjack season. So we said goodbye to Hollywood on that guy. Um, and then I caught a whole bunch of like fancy little snappers and stuff. I got a uh, like a four pound yellowtail um, that was pretty cool. The, then the captain, uh, Kerry, he looks at me and he's like, all right, you ready to go handline fishing? I'm like, yeah, I don't know what the fuck it is. So let's go handline fishing. So. And I posted pictures of all this stuff on my uh, Instagram. If you get a chance, go over and check it out at Chef Brideoff. It's kind of funny. But uh, so then so we drop this line. Uh, it's it's a clothesline, okay, with a little weight on it and a massive hook. And he's like, 
It's basically one of those deals. Let's see what you catch. So I'm kind of floating it just for a second. I feel it hit the bottom. Um, I can feel that fish, uh, that yellowtail on the end of the line. And then I just felt like a, a jerk in the, in the line. And I just kind of tied in, kind of bared down, basically. Um, I'm in shorts. I'm in like a hat backwards, a pair of shitty sunglasses. I can't see anything. Sweat's rolling in my eyes. And I'm now hand pulling this monstrosity up to the surface. So this guy fought me hardcore and I'm doing it by hand. So a couple and a couple, two and a half minutes, I think it was. Um, we ended up banging this fish out. I pulled it up pretty hardcore. It was a 300 pound grouper, a 300 pound grouper. Now, you're not allowed to keep these because it's an endangered fish that they have. They're thinking about doing a permit for next year, which I definitely want to get into if that's the case. Um, it's called a Goliath grouper. It's also known as a Jewfish, like I said. I don't know why it has that term of a Jewfish. I didn't post it that way because I didn't want to get in trouble because you all know how pissed off people will get. The Jewish community runs deep. I mean, I married a Jewish girl, uh, so not that I can say that stuff, but – I don't understand uh, why they had to change the name. It was the name of the fish. I wasn't offended. I hope Jewish people weren't offended. I don't think it had like, I don't know, a, a big nose or any of that stuff. It wasn't like, I don't know, you know, all those stereotypes about Jewish people. I have no idea. I don't know why it was called that. I really don't give a shit. It was a super cool fucking fish. And I caught him and I owned that bitch. And that's what I did. Then we released him. Uh, cause you couldn't pull it up. Uh, it was a hard fight. I really enjoyed uh, that process. And then coming back, uh, my buddy Kev, um, got to hang out at his house about that back down there in Cape Coral. We chilled out for the day. Um, good to see his wife and his boys. And I really appreciate the hospitality every single time that I come down there. Uh, it is a huge amount of fun for me to get down there and play. And I just really appreciate it. So if you guys will go out and you're in Fort Myers or anything, go down and support those guys, show them the love. Um, the management staff that's down there of Julie and Heather uh, and Rob, they just do a really nice job. Kitchen staff with Rob and Tika back there and all the girls, uh, Jaycel and Megan um, and Tabitha. Uh, who else was down there? Kelly was down there and a bunch of girls that I don't really know. But I had a boatload of fun hanging out with them and uh, and just boozing. You know, it was the one night that I drank in the last nine weeks, uh, three and a half months, three months. So it was a lot of fun for me to get out there. Or, sorry, two and a half months. <clears throat> so uh, that was pretty cool. So let's have a really quick conversation um, about uh, about this right here. So, I, you know, I, I get articles kind of sent to me all the time and I get to do um, just kind of some fun stuff. Uh, I, I get articles sent through to me that I get to check out and look at and see what's going on with them. And and I got this article this past week or a couple of weeks ago that um, that Jerry actually, the producer of the show, had sent through to me. And uh, so here's the article. Open table. And this is on uh, this was in the Tampa Bay Times on March 20th, um, Tuesday. Well, that's today. When was this article written? Hold on. Oh, this was done March 7th. Okay. It was updated at 10, 13 a.m. So it's not a super long one, but I'm going to read it to you guys because it's brilliant. Open table says hundreds. Oh, open table says employee used a rival service to book hundreds of fake restaurant reservations. So let me read that again. Open table, the service, if you guys have never used it, I use it all the time. Um, it gives me a good reservation point base. I'm also like a points hoarder. 
So you get points for setting reservations and going out and then points for reviewing and stuff like that. And you get free shit with it. So why would you not use it? You know what I mean? It's like to take three minutes out of my day to be able to review a restaurant on an anonymous level is great. And, and I rarely go to places that suck. So um, just because I try to do a little research on them, I've had some places that really blow, but we discussed those. But for now, uh, I love an open table. Uh, open table, you should sponsor us even though this article is happening. So uh, here we go. This is written by Daniel Victor from the New York Times. I guess the, uh, the Tampa Bay Times picked this article up. Uh, an eight-person party on New Year's Eve. Several groups of six on a Saturday night. Danny Beck, the owner of Pearl's Southern Comfort Restaurant in Chicago's Edgewater neighborhood, began noticing such no-shows, often at critical money-making times, at an unusual frequency in the recent months. Such failed reservations leave tables open for hours, depriving servers of tips and forcing walk-in diners to be turned away. It turned out that dozens of other restaurants using Reserve, which I used to use in the restaurant, an online reservation system, were having similar problems with no-shows. This week, as detailed in the story, and this is March 7th, uh, in a story at Eater, the company said it had discovered the cause. An employee who works for Open Table, which is a rival reservation system that is considered the giant of the industry, had used Reserve to place more than 300 reservations at 45 Chicago restaurants with the intent of leaving the tables empty. So think about that. We in the restaurant industry utilize open table or reserve or something like that to allow people to make their own reservation. We allot for a certain amount of restaurants or of reservations every single night. It matches up with the tables that we have in the restaurant. As a server or a hostess, you're able to go in, see what your reservations are for the night, be able to be prepared for that. It allows you to handle staffing for the restaurant. It allows you to do budgeting so that you can make sure that you have enough food to handle the reservations that you have coming in along with the allotted amount of walk-in reservations that you have. It's a brilliant system. I don't care which one you use, open table or reserve, but I'm a big fan of both of them. I use reserved in my restaurant. It was a great deal. Open table takes a percentage or a dollar for every reservation that's made. And I knew a restaurant in Philly that had 100,000 reservations made through open table the uh, two years ago. So actually it would have been three because it was really 15 going into 16. But they had 100,000 reservations made through that system. Think about that. That's 100,000 reservations that were done super easy, super simple. Cost them a hundred grand. That's a lot of money to pay out to somebody. That's one of the reasons why I went over to reserve. I like both systems good, or I like both systems, but, um, you know, anything that, that is kind of inexpensive, I like to go with because I try to save money where I can. I'm a frugal dude. Okay. So here's the deal. Let's go a little bit further. Open table confirmed that the employee had been fired insisting that he or she had gone rogue and that no one else in the company knew of or directed the plan. It pledged to reimburse. So how about this shit? It pledged to reimburse the restaurants for lost money, and they apologized in a statement on Monday for this disgraceful, unsanctioned behavior. Some of the restaurant owners harmed by the scheme were livid. I just think that's one of the lowest, dirtiest tactics I've ever heard. Beck said in an interview. The fake reservation started in December and peaked around Valentine's Day, said Greg Hong, chief executive of Reserve. The person tried to conceal his or her identity and used multiple email addresses. Come on. But company investigators were able to trace the person to open table, he said. 
This guy was like conniving, like scheming. This is like serial killer shit. Hong contacted Open Table executives on February 20th. The employee was fired February 22nd. An Open Table spokesperson said the um oh, that was a horrible read right there. Let me do that again because that sucked. I missed a comma where I saw I actually saw a period. Because there was a period after February and then a 22 and then a comma. Hong, I'll read this again for you. Hong contacted Open Table executives on February 20th, and the employee was fired on February 22nd. An open table spokesperson said, spokeswoman, the company did not describe the employee's role or possible motive. Executives at open table and reserve declined to share specifics of their investigations. But both companies said the person appeared to be the only one involved. Krista Quarles, chief, uh, the CEO of open table. Actually, she's just the chief executive. It looked like CEO because it's chief executive of Open Table said the tactic was anti-ethical to whoever we are. We agreed that this person acted by themselves and terminated them quickly thereafter, she said. It was a really cut and dry situation in our mind. But that did not fully appease Reserve or some of the restaurant owners. Hong called it a deceitful way to try to make Reserve look bad. Agreed. The byproduct of this restaurant is impacted, he said. So how the restaurant doesn't have seats filled? So oh, I'm sorry. So now the restaurant doesn't have the seats filled and other customers are blocked out. And ultimately, the restaurant is the one that's harmed the most. Think about that. Imagine being a doctor and somebody making a series of fake reservations and you're trying to get in to see the doctor. But you can't get in to see the doctor because there's fake reservations. But you don't know they're fake reservations until way after the people uh, – until way after they get in and don't show up for the reservation. So that's lost revenue In, in an industry where things are so tight, so tight percentages. Profits are so tight, especially with all the shit that goes on, the cost of food, the cost of goods that's out there right now, cost of labor that we're having to deal with. And now we're getting screwed over. I'd, I'd hang the guy. I say we fucking hang it. Okay. Uh, Peter DeCastro, an owner of Tavern at the Park, said Monday that his restaurant had a 25 no-shows at crucial times over two months, all groups of four and up. The result was the fact that they were turning customers away and higher staffing based on the expected demand, a perfect storm of losing money. Very well put, Mr. DeCastro. I like that. He didn't believe the explanation that the open table employee was a lone wolf. He doesn't believe that. He thinks that it's scheming, conniving. Something's going on. It just seems a little fishy that one employee would do this without orders from higher up on the food chain, he said. It does seem kind of weird. I mean, it all depends on what position this guy had. Was he a sales guy? You know, maybe he was working it on the inside with a sales guy. Because I'll tell you what, Open Table doesn't fuck around, man. They come after you. You make that initial call to find out what they cost and what their charges are, they come after you. And in reality, holy shit, I got to figure this out real quick. Hold on. Let me do a real quick kind of research here. I have to look at something because I dealt with open table and had this crazy guy, O-P-E-N, table, T-A-B. There we go. I had this crazy guy who worked for them. When I told him that I was going over to, uh, um, over to reserve, he sent me this like crazy email. I forgot about this. I totally should have paid attention to this. That's so funny. Welcome to the neighborhood from Open Table. Is this my guy? I have to go through this. I've got to find it. Yeah. 
So this guy, I want to know what this guy's name was when he got fired. I have to do some more research into that because if it's that guy, I'd love it. I think it was awesome because he was an asshole. He called me all the time and he gave sent me this like scathing email as to why we were going to fail if we used Open Table and Reserve was not ready for it yet. But I'll tell you what, they were ready for it. It was a pretty awesome experience. I liked Reserve. So, but that's weird. Okay. So uh, Quarles said that she understood. Remember, that's the CE. Oh. Quarles said that she understood the frustration and the company was working to rebuild trust. She sent a memo to OpenTable staff last weekend that disavowed the action and encouraged employees to use an ethics hotline if they spotted inappropriate behavior. She also sent a letter to Chicago restaurants that use OpenTable describing the incident and saying that it goes against everything that we stand for. The first rule of hospitality, if something goes wrong with a restaurant, you make it right, she said. You've got to make it right, and we're doing that. Well put, Quarles. I like how you did that. But still pretty crazy. Think about that, the conniving ways in which people go about just trying to make a sale. You know, a couple of different ways that people go into this stuff. That's just nuts, man. That's insane. So where am I going with that? I have no idea. It was an awesome article. I like talking about it because I think that it's crazy to watch people kill each other in this in the hospitality industry. When If you just do a better job of selling your product, of educating your staff, then we all have a lion's share of what's going on. Everybody gets some. You get some. It's like Oprah. You get some and you get some and you get some. Just do a better job at what you're doing and you will see the return of that. That's the case. Okay. I mean, I, I look at I look at a place like like my clients down in Winston-Salem uh, uh, at the Quiet Pint when look, they just do a great job and people come in. If you do a shitty job, people don't come in. Like my guys out in Rockford, Illinois, they do a great job. People come in. My guys down in uh, uh, in Fort Myers, where I just was, you know, last two weeks ago, they do an amazing job. You know what? You know the owner at that place down at Fort Myers? He holds a standard for bartenders. He has them basically. They have to ring a certain amount every hour to uh, uh, to kind of hold their job, and and you're judged by how much you ring. And it's like by the hour. It's one of the things that I like about Kev is he's very uh, he's very progressive when it comes to his bartenders because you know what? He was a bartender. He knows what it's like to ring. And he holds his staff accountable in a full-blown way. Um, it's kind of funny. He was showing me some videos from his security camera the other day. And there was uh, this woman who was walking down the street and it was a double camera shot. Perfect, perfect. One camera right over the door, another one a little further down that had a shot of this woman walking down the street. Now, there's no audio to it, but there's two guys standing outside of the bar uh, and this girl walks by and she stands there. They must have fucking said something to her. I can't even imagine. What the and they were like, you know, respectful guys like they, they might have been on spring break or something like they were just good looking dudes, you know, sitting outside the bar. So you can watch it. She like kind of turns when they say something to her and she just like squares off, man. She just turns around. She drops her bag on the ground, walks over and clocks the guy in the face. I got to make sure that it's OK to post that because I would love to share that out because it's pretty damn funny. Um, but you, you never know, man. You never know what happens. But Kev's staff um, down there in Fort Myers from the bouncers, thank you for coming in. I hope you have a great night. Hey, do me a favor. Can you throw that glass out before you come out? Like they're really good guys and he hires bouncers that are not only of size and girth. He hires them with a personality because think about it. You're owning a nightclub. You own a bar. 
Why do you want to walk in and be intimidated by some dickhead with his sleeves rolled all the way up? Some juice nut who's out there banging down roids all afternoon, throwing some D-ball back so that he, because what? Because he's bigger than you, so he has the opportunity to make you feel like shit? Fuck that. I don't ever want that in my life. I don't ever want that in my life. I want you to smile. I want you to say thanks for coming in. I want you to say have a nice day when I leave. Not because I'm, I'm special, but because that's the way that we treat humans, man. Nobody's better than anybody else. We're all the same person. So that's how I feel about that. Wow, that was like a lot. That was like 35 minutes of me just bullshitting back and forth. So uh, we've got some cool stuff going on, guys. Uh, we do. We've got some really cool stuff coming up this week. Um, I am lucky enough to have made the acquaintance of a pretty cool dude um, in many other ways. You know, I love talking to chefs. I love having um, people from the industry uh, uh, hop out and have conversations with us and 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 talk and uh, and just kind of go back and forth. So I was lucky enough to meet a gentleman uh, while I was at nightclub and bar. I reached out to him a little bit further uh, prior to the show or prior to the nightclub and bar show where I wanted to talk to him. And I'm going to just read this for you real quick. Okay, this is called Flourish. This is the name of the company, and it's the flour. It's called Flourish, and uh, it's baking things happen. I like that nice little play on words. Baking, making, you get it. Okay, so here's about their mission statement. We pride ourselves on creating chef-driven, lab-tested, locally sourced cannabis edibles, providing a healthy, dependable, and delicious alternative to the, the cannabis edible market. Who we are. Flourish Cannabis is the brainchild of Peyton Curry, an acclaimed chef and restaurateur who left Michelin-starred restaurants to open a chef-driven alternative to the edibles market. Flourish Cannabis began as a small kitchen in Williams, Arizona in 2016 and quickly developed a reputation as a high-end, healthful cannabis edibles. Flourish now stocks over 50 dispensaries in Arizona, California. Flourish Cannabis opened its San Francisco Bay Area kitchen in March 2017 and is preparing additional cities and states in the coming months. Each new state is going to have its own dedicated kitchen. Pretty cool. At Flourish, they're passionate about crafting the highest quality and best-tasting cannabis edibles on the market. Why are they different? Science are utilizing science. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. What they do, unlike many other edible manufacturers, Flourish focuses on creating edibles that are not only effective, but delicious and healthy. Our chefs eschew processed foods, limit sugars, and work with local farmers and providers to source the freshest and highest quality ingredients available. Our regional kitchens are the key to our success. By building dedicated kitchens in each of our partner states, our scratch kitchen provides distinctly local and community building products while avoiding federal restrictions on interstate commerce. We work hard so the dispensaries, consumers, and patients can feel, feel good about integrating us into their pot pantry. I like it, in quotes. We're glad that so many patients across the country have made our medicated edibles part of their daily intake. Now, I just read that as if it's commercial. There's no fucking commercial there. I'm excited to talk to Peyton Curry, Chef Peyton Curry, the cannabis chef. So, ladies and gentlemen, do me a favor. Welcome, Chef Peyton Curry, to Duffified Live. Good morning, Chef. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Awesome, man. It's a nice early morning out here in Vegas. Yeah, no, I apologize for the voice, but as you know, uh, being in Vegas, it tends to take a little bit of a toll on you at times. That's for sure. <laughs> so, uh, so real quick, why don't you uh, tell everybody out there how we can get in touch with you or follow you or any of that good stuff right off the bat? Um, I'm, I'm available on your pharmacist on on Instagram, it's your Y O U R Farm F A R M 
assist, A-S-S-I-S-T. So it's a little different than your typical pharmacist. Um, <laughs> you know, for me, I, I, I go out there as a, a pharmacist and then help, uh, help cannabis farms use their trim or use their, their oil um, to make cannabis cuisine, to make, to awesome. make food. Um, on Facebook, I'm Peyton J. Curry. And then uh, on, on any other platform, it's just flourishcannabis.com is, is our website for us, uh, for me. Um, we're, in, we're in two states now. We're in Las Vegas, uh, in Nevada, producing, and also Arizona. So you can find me in those two states. Back and forth driving, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. So, so it's great out there, man. Yeah, I'm, 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 a, I'm a big fan being out here and, uh, and, and getting to play. And I'll actually be in Arizona in a couple of weeks. So, so tell, give us a little bit of a background about yourself. I mean, how what brought you into what brought you into the food world first? I guess. Sure, I'm 14 years old. Um, started washing dishes at a restaurant that was near my girlfriend's house so I could uh, go to school, be with my girlfriend, go be with my girlfriend before work, and then just go to work. And then afterwards, I oh my gosh, I'm right by my girlfriend's house. How convenient. So it was, <laughs> uh, you know, busting suds, washing dishes, and just having a job. I, I got into the restaurant business just for work. and. Uh, you know, I stayed in, I'm almost 40 now, you know, still love washing dishes. It's, uh, you know, it's a good, it's a good industry. And for us, uh, to be in the hospitality industry, you know, it'll take care of you anywhere you go in the country, anywhere you go in the world. Cooking is a, is a universal language. So I was able to travel to Singapore and to Bali and, you know, go over to Bosnia and do some goats on the, on the spit. And, you know, I wasn't speaking the, I wasn't speaking the native language, but I could use a knife and, and I could peel garlic and, you know, I could cook. And then, uh, you know, then I started, um, cooking with cannabis about 15 years ago. And I tell everyone, then it turned into hash vitality because I started putting a hash and everything. And, uh, you know, we, <laughs> you know, we were able to, uh, to do really unique dinner parties and these are very underground, you know, we, I was in Minnesota, which it's still super illegal there, but, uh, you know, we were pushing the envelope with this vegetable cannabis and, you know, we had a great time with it. We still do even, even in a heavily regulated market that we're in now. We still have yeah. a very good, you know, very good time with this vegetable. So, it's amazing to watch the, uh, the transformation of everything. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really is. And, you know, you, you see everyone using hot dog water, which we call distillate. You know, everyone's out there using this, you know, water, this stock. This, as I look at, you know, CO2 or BHO. I look at that as a stock. It's, it's, you know, cannabis oil. It's the maple syrup, if you will, of cannabis. And it's fun. You know, it's fun to, to use distillate because it's just THC and, you know, let's get everyone high on THC and 
you know, just doesn't really do much. It's, it's just kind of like, uh, you know, the Keystone light, you know, I mean, it's there for beer, but it's, is it great? You know, I don't know. Right. The distillate train, you know, the distillate train's just running so heavy now because everyone's explain, explain what, explain what distillate is for everybody. Yeah. So, uh, I taught myself um, fractional distillation in my backyard, and what it is is it's just like uh, what we do in the in in the crude oil, uh, even using fossil fuels. You take your crude oil, you put it in a chamber, you boil it. Everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, you boil it!" Yeah, you boil it, and then it fractionates all the molecules off, and it does this just via different vaporization temperatures. So what you're able to do is take a giant vat of everyone's trim, uh, run that trim into a crude oil, and then put that crude oil into a distillation machine, which it will then distill it. and will then turn it into isolated molecular structures. Right. So you have isolated THC and isolated CBD and isolated CBN and all these other molecules. So at the end of the day, everyone's just using THC, which for the human body, it's kind of like, oh, yay, more THC. You know, we need full cannabinoid structures uh, for the body to recognize it as full therapeutic wellness. So to be able to to be able to distill stuff is, this is great. I mean, we're doing it with vodka. You know, we do it with other spirits. We're doing it with gasoline for diesel and kerosene in our cars. And, you know, now we're obviously doing it with cannabis too. And one of the unique things about it is through distillation comes trust from the human mind because it has human manipulation. So we must have done something to make it better. And that's what everyone's trying to push with this distilled THC, you know, is that it's, right. well, it's just refined down, you know, it's just refined down to THC. But one of the coolest things that's come out of that is Delta-8, which I believe that Delta-8 is, is the future of comfortable cannabis. Uh, the reason why is... You're taking a delta nine molecule, which is just a regular THC molecule, and then through uh, another filtration um, process and another fractionation column, we're actually making delta eight, which has zero mental claustrophobia or paranoia once you've consumed it. Wow! So yeah, so what's super cool about delta eight? It's for the people that, you know, shake their finger at those that use cannabis because it's going to have you have, you know, make you have sex with the jazz man. You know, it's not really the case. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this this, this doesn't doesn't turn you into the monster that everyone thinks uh, cannabis will. Right, still blows my mind. Yeah, it's, it is. It's, it's completely crazy. And uh, this molecule is something that is, is kind of like the Bud Light of cannabis. It's, you know, it's, uh, you can recreate with it, you know, without over consuming. And especially with edibles, 
you know, me being a cannabis cook, every time I make food, everyone's like, does this have weed in it? I'm like, fuck off, man. If I can afford to put put weed in everything, I really would, you know? Right. So now, I I mean, um, how, how do you, Uh, let's back up a little bit. I mean, you're 14 years old, you're working in a restaurant, you're washing dishes, you're going and checking your girlfriend out, which is actually pretty funny because I used to, I used to run track. And when I was a kid in like middle school, I used to have a girlfriend who lived on the route that we used to run every single day. And I was a shot putter and a long jumper. So I didn't have to run. Like the fuck's the point of running? I'm shot putting long jump. I'm strong and (laughs) I can jump like we're good. So I would duck out while everybody else was going on their runs and I would hang out at her house and know what time they'd be coming back. And I would then like, like hang out with her and watch TV for a little while. And then I knew they'd be coming back and I'd hop in the back of the line and everybody laughed because I was the slowest guy on the run, but I was making out with my girlfriend. So amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But so how do you go? I mean, so I mean, when did you start smoking or when did you start really kind of playing with the idea of weed? I was a senior in high school. I was a huge jock in high school, played sports and, you know, pounded weights. I was super fat as a kid and got picked on by kids. So when I was in my, in my, you know, late teens, all I wanted to do was just not be fat, you know, so I just worked out all the time and, you know, just, uh, Mr. Sports guy. And then my right. second semester of my senior year, I was, I was done with football. I was done with all this shit, you know, my, you know, captain and all this crap was gone. And right. I was at a, I was at a fucking Jimmy Buffett concert, you know, just getting wasted. And then, uh, wow. my brother handed me a, my brother handed me a blunt. My brother, you know, I have a twin brother. That's just Mr. Even Keel. But wow. in high school, he sure loved to sm- he loved to smoke pot in high school. So uh, I smoked, and to be honest, it didn't really click in with me for a while and, until I was off in college, uh, where I could really experiment even more. And you know, once once I started smoking pot, being a cook, you know, that's all I wanted to do was was mess around with it. And right. I went off to college. I went off to college in Minnesota uh, at the University of Minnesota, Winona. And I was playing rugby and, uh, you know, having the time of my life. And I'm a man of value. So I don't, I don't want to buy an eighth of something when you can sell me an ounce. And if I'm getting an ounce, well, then I, I want a quarter pound. And if I'm getting a quarter pound, it's not from McDonald's. You know, I have right. two of them. You know? wow. <laughs> and then I just started, I just started flipping bags in the right. Midwest. and. And the reason why I was doing that is I, I was, you know, helping these farms. They were throwing away and I started helping right. them make butters and oils and things that they could then sell off. And now these farmers, you know, this is 20 years ago. All these farmers then in Minnesota were getting more money for the trim that they would traditionally be throwing away. And then they were buying better nutrients and growing better pots. And, you know, this would happen in our food system if we would allow it the kind yeah. of neat thing about cannabis is it's kind of forcing this on us to have better food just through testing. Right. So, you know, there I am, there I am 19 years old, you know, picking up a few pounds a week and, you know, cooking with that, doing dinner wow. parties and then, you know, flipping weight just as, as everyone has for a long time. 
Yeah. You know, and, How, you know I uh, messed up a lot. <laughs> I'm sure. Oh, I my first couple, my first couple of batches, I, I, I made some, I made some wonderful messes when I first yeah. started to try to play around. Right. But, uh, what uh? So you're you're a big tall guy, man. You're back in rugby. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was second row in rugby, and you know I had a time of my life playing rugby, man. Uh, I started know, playing when I was fourteen. Uh, wow. Yeah, I started wow. playing fourteen. I was uh, I started out as a back, and then uh, my nickname became pork chop, and I was a hooker, and then uh, nice. then I became a tight head. So. <laughs> Um, I was right, right, right there in front of you, my friend. Right there in front of you. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I played for years, man. It was times in my life. Biggest look, biggest fraternity in the world. Uh, amazing group of people. The support that's there with it, and and even to stay forward. I mean, I haven't played in fifteen years, you know, yeah. and uh, yeah, maybe a little less than fifteen. But but yeah, I mean, I still to this day, some of those guys are some of my best friends. So that's great. Yeah, they're brothers right there. Hey, look, I, I'm going to be honest about something. I'm going to come clean real quick. Uh, I am not a sit down and read a book guy. I listen to people talking about, oh, I read the greatest book last week, or I read so much I couldn't even put it down. I liked it so much. You know, that's just not me. I'm not that guy. Why? Because my brain moves too quick and I can't just do it. It drives me crazy. So that's why I love Audible. All right. Audible is all about having amazing audiobooks. I get to listen to them in the car. I get to listen to them on my phone. I get to listen to them at the gym. I get to listen to them on planes. Okay, sometimes I get other stuff done. Sometimes I just kind of sit back and listen. Audiobooks are great for helping you to be a better you, whether you want to feel healthier, get motivated, or learn something new. We just did a, a podcast about a cannabis chef. You want to learn more about that? Get a book. Download an audiobook. See what's out there for it, okay? I'm super stoked to have Audible as a sponsor for the podcast. All right? You want to get a fiscal you? How about reading books like You're a Badass at Making Money or Rich Dad, Poor Dad? How about a healthier you? The Sleep Revolution or The Power of Habit, The Obesity Code. What about a successful you? The Four Hour Work Week. I love Tim Ferriss, man. I think that's awesome. Audible helps you listen to your books by uh, letting you switch seamlessly uh, between devices, picking up exactly where you left off, whether it's on your phone, through your car, a tablet, who knows, even at home on your Amazon Echo. You can get a ton of books. All right. Audible members get a credit every single month. For for any audiobook in our store, regardless of price and unused credits. All right, start a 30-day trial right now and your first audiobook is free. What I need you to do, are you ready? Here's what we're going to do. Audible's offering a special offer to everybody out there who listens to Duffified Live. Audible's offering for our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com forward slash chef and browse unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com forward slash chef or you can text chef to 500-500 and get started today. Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and all sorts of stuff from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers. All right? It's real simple. Hop out there. Give your book anything that you guys want to do. Get out there and check it out. I happen to love the four-hour work, um, work week. I'm really trying to get better at it. And I'm listening to it on Audible. Audible.com forward slash chef. Text chef to 500-500 and get 30-day free trial membership and your first audiobook is free. You're now playing around with this stuff and you're cooking with it. I mean, at what? And, and you're selling it at the same time. I mean, during all of this. 
how, I mean, how, how do you then progress? I mean, look, this industry, for me, it's a weird kind of, kind of process because I, I smoked once when I was 14 and then I didn't smoke weed again until I was probably 28 and I didn't start utilizing on a regular basis until about eight years ago, seven years ago. So, uh, you know, I mean, how do you, how do you move that transition that fast? And first off and doing it at a time when it's completely illegal, you know, there wasn't the conversation that there is now about it. How, how are you doing it at that point? You know, doing these kind of underground dinner parties really, really took off because, you know, people, uh, people trusted me because I was giving them kind of, um, an application to come to these dinners. I wanted to know how you medicate, what's your preferred style, what's your dose. You know, wow. so I wasn't just coming out there like, Hey, everyone's going to get wrecked, you know, cause right. I don't, I don't want that. I want, I want people to have fun and want to normalize this plant. I want to socialize the experience. And then I want you to come back. And for me, you know, I was, cooking my ass off. I went to New York and went to the Culinary Institute of America up there and then mm. then traveled overseas and did my apprenticeship in Singapore for a year in a non English speaking wow. kitchen, which which was incredible. It taught me great patience and yeah how to how to just work how to work with your mouth shut and your eyes open. And I came back uh from Singapore and then went to Napa and cooked in Napa Valley where, you know, Cannabis was like any other vegetable there. Yeah. We're doing some great brunches, brunches and breakfast and stuff. Uh, you know, all the while I'm cooking in Michelin star restaurants during the day and doing cannabis brunches in the morning so I could afford to live in Napa. Right. And, oh, uh, God. Yeah. Then uh, I got poached out of Napa from a, a chef that took me down to Ame, which was in the St. Regis Hotel. And, uh, once I was in, once I was in San Francisco, everything just catapulted because cannabis, you know, then, you know, medicinally legal there by the time I was in San Francisco for 10 years, 10 years. And it had to just flip changed everything, everything, everything. I mean, I could walk down the street and get a gram of wax and, you know, I could do stuff that I wasn't able to do in Minnesota. I mean, in Minnesota, I I was making... You know, uh, it wasn't pretty making concentrates, you know, in some of the, some of the garages, but we were helping these, these growers, you know, make more money. Right. And then in San Francisco in San Francisco, there was so much money around there that it was, you know, who am I going to cook for? You know, it wasn't right. I hope people come to us. So then I moved to Arizona and that was, uh, I've been in Arizona 12 years now and I moved there um, to start a restaurant and um, and to also help push um, what I knew from the cannabis industry into Arizona, uh, which became medical uh, four years after I moved there. And once Arizona came medical, I mean, I just came out of the woodwork and so did everybody right. else that I work with. And we all just came out strong. I mean, there there are a few dispensary owners in Arizona that will never talk to me because of the way we came out of the woodwork. You know, really, and it was oh, well, 
yeah, oh yeah, these, you know, staunchy, you know, I call them penguins, the suit wearing, you know, people trying to run the cannabis space. Well, you can't come into this space. Where where did you come from? Right. Came from the industry. You know, it started long before these people got there and long before I got in it. I didn't start anything. I just joined, you know, and, uh, and found another, and found a niche place for it. Yeah. Yeah. And we upset, you know, we upset a few, uh, a few of the dispensary owners because of our style. We're very patient forward when we, when we launched flourish, uh, when we took us two years to get launched. Um, but we've been, we've been on the ground now on the shelves in Arizona for two years. And when we came out a a hundred milligram edible was 19 to $22 retail. And when Flourish came out, we had a hundred milligram edible on the shelf for under $10 retail. Wow. And that was, that was our model. And our model was volume. Cause I come from the restaurant business. Volume saves everything. Sure. Absolutely. So me, you know, we had to do volume. Yeah. And when we came out, we launched with a, a date brownie, which is, uh, we pride ourselves as a, a low calorie cannabis cuisine company. And we launched with a 120 calorie, 100 milligram of THC date brownie. It has dates. In wow. It. Instead of a, a bunch of sugar in the date the dates help with the bioavailability of the cannabis and allows that cannabis to to be metabolized in a smooth manner. And our brownie this this year took uh, best edible in the state of Arizona, which was super cool. We didn't even know that oh, yeah, we were in awesome. the, Yeah, we didn't even know that we were in this, you know, challenge and uh, right. it's a big thing in Arizona. It comes from the New Times, which is a, one of our kind of alternative publications. And I got a call from one of our competitors and, and he's like, you son of a bitch, you took the you took the award. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he's like, you guys won Best Edible with the Date Brownie. And, you know, two wow. years ago when we launched, when we launched with that thing, the industry is like, it's never going to sell. People don't know what dates are. Uh, I right. said it's going to sell because people know what value is. Right. What do you mean? Exactly. Said, well, people know value. And when they see this on the shelf, they're not going to look at it and go, well, that's a healthy thing. Well, that's 120 calories. They're going to look at it and go, 100 megs, 10 bucks, I'm out of here. I'm exactly. Out. Awesome. And that's exactly, yeah. and that's what happened. Yeah. So with that, people started thinking, well, what else is in my edibles? If Flourish is putting dates and good things in it. Well, what's in the other stuff? And then they're learning about sprayed edibles and, you know, some of the other edibles that aren't infused. They're just kind of, you know, tossed. What is a a sprayed edible? Yeah. So, you know how when you go to like New York City and Times Square and they have those white shirts that they're spraying color on? Right. Like they'll they'll put your name in balloon letters. Yeah, people that don't know how to cook, people that don't know how to cook, but they they want to. Pl- I call it play marijuana. They want right. to come in and play marijuana. They'll go to Costco and they'll buy bags and bags of gummies. They'll put them on a cookie pan, and then instead of putting paint in that spray gun that they spray onto your shirt and balloon letters, they put in a THC distillate that's been mixed wow. with corn syrup. 
and then they did not spray that onto the gummy. Yeah, I did not know that. About 40% of the... 40% of the edibles on the market are made via being sprayed on. Wow. Um, a, about 60% of the gummies in the market are yeah. sprayed. Or, or it's so funny. I, I had gotten uh, a, my, my, my guy who, who I, I deal with in Philadelphia uh, had given me a whole bunch of edibles a couple of weeks ago and I, I popped them. I have a little safe and I popped them in there and uh, the next day I went in and opened it up and they had leaked all over my bag, all over my safe through the bag. So that's what that was. He must be spraying his stuff with that case. And he makes great, he makes great chocolate bars and cookies and stuff like that that are not sprayed. I know what, what he does with that, but that now makes yeah. a lot of sense to me with that. Oh, that's pretty wild. I didn't know that. I honestly, I didn't know. Yeah. But I'm also, yeah. I'm also moving into, uh, I'm also getting into uh, a tremendous amount of knowledge when it comes into this stuff, obviously because I'm a chef, but because the, the benefits of CBD and THC and what they've done for me have been just dramatic you know, in the way that I live my life and stuff like that. So I'm now really starting to dig in. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed a, 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 a you know, a medicinal marijuana doctor just to find out the process right. and, you know, which I, I got a rec card from him because I was, you know, I did it online, you know? So, so for me, I'm really kind of digging in, which is one of the reasons why it was so, I've been so kind of adamant about talking to you and I appreciate your patience through all of that. Um, I thought you were going to be out here for the yeah. week and all that stuff. But, and so everybody else understands when I say to talk to him, you know, for the week or being out here for the week, what I'm talking or referencing is the nightclub and bar show, um, which is uh, what's something that I'm on the board for. And, and I'll tell you a funny story really quick, Peyton, but uh, we, we almost didn't have a cannabis track the way that we do this year. Um, we had left a board meeting without, uh, without really voting on doing a cannabis track because we didn't feel that we were ready for it yet. Um, and so everybody understands the nightclub and bar show is the largest nightclub and bar show in the world. We have a tremendous educational session that happens during the show where you can go in and learn from how to design your bar on a dime to, you know, how to update an outdated menu, how to deal with security issues. And then we came into this track of marijuana, of cannabis, because the benefits of what's happening with it, the healthy aspect of it, people are much more uh, uh, understanding from, you know, especially the older clientele who were given the propaganda or, or my age. I mean, I'm 46. We were given the propaganda of if you smoke weed, you're going to end up doing heroin and sleeping in the streets. You know, that's the way that it was explained to me, not the level of what we have now. So, so you coming out to Vegas and, and having a track, what, what exactly were you speaking about while you were out here? You know, the, the neat thing about, uh, about this nightclub and bar show is, uh, I, I opened up my panel, which was infusion without confusion was the name of the panel. I opened yeah. up with, you know, I blew a point four four to get here. And everybody kind of laughed and I said, I'm serious. You know, I, I was, you know, completely blinding myself with over the counter alcohol years ago because of my depression and anxiety. And, and like you, you know, I come from a Western medicine family where it was beat into my head like you, that, you know, the propaganda is real. If you smoke, yeah. weed, you're going to get holes in your brain and then you're going to die and stuff like my that. My mother was a nurse. 
and, and have that yeah, medical, mine too. you know, still to this day, still to this day has that traditional yeah. uh, idea when I live in a different world. But I'm sorry, God, so you opened it up. Yeah. So I opened it up with that. I mean, I, I was using over-the-counter alcohol for a long time. And then, you know, yes, I was still cooking with cannabis then, but I, I, it hadn't clicked with me about the therapeutic benefits of the plant until I got a DUI. And what I told the, the crowd yesterday was then I had to use this plant for my own wellness because while I was detoxing off of alcohol, my, the DTs or the shakes were real. I mean, that shit is gnarly to have happen to you. And that was all, at that time I was making, it is. I was making Rick, Rick Simpson oil or a hash oil out of ethanol for kids with, with epilepsy. And to um, be honest, I thought at that time, while I had the DTs at my house, I need to be taking this shit too. And I started yeah. at that time taking the Rick Simpson oil and the shakes went away almost, almost within the hour, which freaked wow. me out. And then I was, and then I was hungry and then I had an appetite. And this is for someone that's detoxing off of alcohol, which is very painful. So for me to be able to take that mentality at a restaurant at bar show and teach these people how that they can make drinks for a guy like me that doesn't drink anymore, that still wants to come out to a bar. I still want to socialize with people. I still want to do the American thing, which is just have another. You'll relax. Yeah. Uh, which is just bullshit, which is just bullshit. It's but. crazy. It's crazy. I mean, I, I traveled the road. I flew 80,000 miles last year and I, wow. uh, <laughs> I, I, I was, I mean, I was up and out and at, in bars and restaurants almost every single night. And it's a constant, it's a barrage of booze just going down. And, and I, I got to a point that I was drinking Grey Goose and soda in a single tall with a couple of olives and a lime. And, and the reason why I was doing that is because in the middle of the night, if I started to feel like shit or whatever it was, I could switch out and nobody would know. Because right. it was the same color drink as the night went on. Because I realized when I was saying, hey, no, I'm good. I'm, gonna, I'm not feeling well or I'm getting a little banged up. People will, you know, I mean, in general population and publicity, people will start to, ah, come on, man. Get a set of balls. Go back up. Grab another drink. Yeah. Come on. We're going to be here longer. That's right. So I did. I, I created that cocktail. And funny enough, Peyton, it's called Chef's Night Out. <laughs> But, and it's got limes and olives in it. And I can tell how much I've had to drink based on the amount of limes in the bottom of the drink. It's a very kind of scientific process, but Brilliant. Uh, yeah, and, and I, I, I stopped drinking. I quit drinking for 10 weeks. I've been out in Vegas. Now this week I did drink a little bit because I'm out with my chef buddies. You know I mean? We're drinking great cocktails. Yeah, we're drinking yeah. and it's nightclub and bar, but, but uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I went on a little tangent there, uh, but I totally agree with you. It's crazy. Uh, and I, I find it, yeah. I find it, almost brilliant that you call it over-the-counter alcohol. Yeah, it's over-the-counter alcohol. I mean, let's be yeah. real here. I, you know, I, I went out with my with my family when when everybody got here, <clears throat> and, and everyone's holding their, you know, jug of spirit, as I call it. And, yeah. you know, I looked at them, and I said, I, I to every one of my, my brother-in-laws and my brother and my dad, I said, hey, how much, how much do you guys have left on your allotment? And they're like, what? I said, how much do you have left on your allotment when you purchase this over-the-counter alcohol? How much do you have left for your 10 days? Because when I purchase cannabis, I only get two and a half ounces every 10 days. So how right. much do you get? 
And my dad's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I said, oh, well, well that is in my, in my, awesome, in my, yeah. He's so pissed at me. He's so mad. I, just, I, I, I mean, we're in, we're in Nevada having a, a family reunion where I have an edible company on the shelf. So yeah, let's go. You know, and yeah. and with it, people, people. I mean, you get so washed up in in this American culture of overconsumption. That's yes. why American culture has such a problem with cannabis. Is you can't overconsume it like you can over the counter alcohol, because when you do that, you just puke and rally. And we make fucking videos and movies about this shit. We oh, call yeah, hangover movies and all this crap. And and yet. You got a guy like me that eats psychedelics and stuffs his cargo pants with cannabis cuisine. And then I go off into the public and try to get them to understand that they can be a part of themselves if they do get away from this over-the-counter alcohol. It's amazing. I mean, with alcohol, man, you know, with alcohol, you overconsume it. Your body, your mind, you overconsume the alcohol. You black out. Your spirit will not take responsibility for you. So you black out with yeah. cannabis. Your, your spirit loves you so much that on, when you overconsume on cannabis, you're going to go under your sheets for 12 to 16 hours with three gallons of water and hope you can get to Netflix. And that's on <laughs> cannabis. Yeah. Your spirit stays with you. You're going to learn a little bit about yourself, but it's non-toxic. And, you know, am I jaded because I drank too much and I don't drink anymore? Yes, at myself. Yeah, here's a guy that went in. I went into the liquor store, and this was the best part of my therapy. And I never did the twelve step thing because I was kicked out of AA because I eat mushrooms and smoke weed. Right. So when I went into the liquor store and apologized to the alcohol because it wasn't that fault, it was my own for my own lack of good judgment and goodwill that I was so depressed that I was using this to self-medicate and people don't talk about that enough because as you said earlier come on man grow a set let's have another yeah right? you know yeah and that's fucking absolutely right it's so gross and uh well you know, i i have a um, <clears throat> yeah go ahead I, I, it's funny because we were we were in an uber and i'm in vegas you know what i mean so you have to go into a dispensary um and we were pulling in the parking lot and there was a guy who was walking down the center lane of the parking lot and I turned around and I looked at my Uber driver and my buddies that were in the car with me and I said, now if this were a bar and we were following a guy this closely in the parking lot, he'd have turned around and be like, what the fuck, guys? The fuck, you're getting closer to me, you're going to fucking run me over. And this guy literally turned around and looked at us and gave us an apology and moved over to the right. And I said, that's the difference between going to the bar and going to the fucking dispensary. There's no aggression that comes from this. None. No. And it, and it, as I sit back and I watch and I, I, you know, I'm, I used to, I'd have a drink or I'd sit in the bar and have a drink or two and I would run outside and take a hit off of a one hitter or something to that effect. And, and I'd walk back in the bar and my entire mindset changed. My, my conversations with people changed. My view on where I was changed. I was more interested in what other people had to say rather than promoting myself as a chef who's on TV or whatever it is. My conversations yeah. changed. I wake up in the morning changed. I'm not hungover. That's I don't great. feel like yeah. shit. I don't, I mean, it's, you know, and, and there was a question there and I know you understand this question because 
you know, you were a drinker, but it, what is it doing to my personality? Was it making me more outgoing? Was it making me more of an asshole? And I've started to play with different strains to find out what the best let's go to the bar weed is. Let's find the, you know, I tell a story, my, my father passed away in October and on the day of his funeral, I went downstairs into my, my room and, and I, I rolled up uh, my concoction, I like to call it, which is a combination of Gorilla Glue and blueberry cheesecake. And I went out with everybody for the night and I gave everybody one hit and I said, just hang out for the next hour. Don't say anything else. Don't ask me for more weed because I've created the perfect cocktail for this because I've been studying the, you know, the different strains and stuff um, to get the different effects and find out what it is. So when, when you're cooking with, with cannabis, are you utilizing other different strains? And, and by that, I don't mean indica or sativa. I mean, are you, is there a difference in the strains and the reaction or the outcome of it? I mean, you know, I know what Gorilla Glue does to me and I know what Thunderfuck does to me, you know, sure. but in the edible world, sure. is there a difference within those? You know, I, I, I piss off a lot of people with this conversation cause I, I bring science into it and I, I allow myself to step away. You know, <laughs> there is no indica edible. There is no sativa edible when you eat cannabis and it is metabolized. The body only knows THC. The body doesn't know the difference between THC from indica and THC from sativa. Wow. So when I, so when I make edibles, I don't have, I'd sell a lot more edibles if I had strain specific edibles. If I lied to the public and said that strain specific was a real thing with edibles. Right. And it's simply not. And it's not because the body is recognizing individual molecules which should make people want to eat better food, not just with cannabis in it, but just eat better food. Right. Where it starts to be indica and sativa is in the mouth. The biggest organ in our body is when you use it as a tincture or, or a sublingual, you can start to get some of the, the effects. And when people want to argue with me, I tell them then, I'm going to make you a thousand milligrams sativa edible and expect you to run five marathons, but you pass out. You right, right, right. You know? So what we try to promote, I, I sat with Rye Pritchard from, from Bong Appetit at Hitman Glass in LA a few weeks ago and had an amazing conversation about, about the future of dining. And, and he really brought some great points to me and, and, and how it should be done. And, and I, I really got to take good note of it because his style or his method of a cannabis dinner party is to have great concentrates sitting like you, like you were talking about when you rolled up that joint, having great concentrates sitting at the table so that you can have some that taste uh, more or less how you want that to taste before you start eating that it's more of a inhalation, sensory awakening, and then eating the food. Because what, what I like to do is I did, did a dinner uh, two and a half weeks ago for 10 people uh, in Paradise Valley, Arizona. Beautiful home, very wealthy people, the people that you wouldn't typically expect to be eating weed, as I say. And, you know, for that, it was a lot of THCA. 
So I was using a lot of uh, butane hash oil, which was very clean, live resin. And these very citrusy notes of this wax um, we used as a, a base for a vinaigrette. So you could really taste all the lemonine and uh, get some of the good flavor profiles out of that wax. Because in order to get some of those terpene levels high enough for you to eat it, it would be so expensive for it to come through that nobody could afford to do these dinners, if that makes sense. So yeah, we kind of have to play off, play off the notes inside of the dish. And that's why I said earlier, everyone's just using hot dog water. They're just using distillate and squeezing distillate into stuff. And, you know, look, I made edibles and, you know, that's super fun, you know, and, and you can do it. At least you're infusing your edibles and not spraying them. But there right. are a lot of other cannabinoids in there that should be used, you know. And and for me, I think everyone, if your dinner party is on Friday night at 730, I think that you should get lunch on Friday that has a little edible in it that you eat right at four o'clock before you leave to go home. So that when you come to the dinner party, you're already medicated instead right. of waiting 45 minutes or an hour for the meds to kick in. You know, there's, there's a lot of play there, you know, for, for us, uh, we're doing dinner parties all over the country with, with cannabis. And, you know, the last one we sold 200 tickets and 450 people showed up. Oh my God. So wow. Like, Holy shit. You know, well, yeah, we got to see what it's going to take and, you know, 10 years from now in the restaurant business, when you get three buses that show up and you didn't know oh, they were yeah. coming. That's amazing. You can't just throw your, e you can't just throw your ego in a pan and, you know, make new stuff. You have to do the right. math. And, the, <clears throat> and that's what we got to see. I mean, you know, we were in a, a restaurant in old town Scottsdale on a Sunday night with a line, 400 feet. A line 400 feet going up Scottsdale Road, and the police were driving by, not even knowing what the fuck was going on, and they didn't do anything. <laughs> right. You know? I mean, yeah. they definitely were wondering why we had a line down the street on a Sunday night, and right. we told them. We said, we have, a, we have a cannabis dinner party going on, and the reason they're, they're ever, everyone's in the line is we're checking, you know, medical cards and IDs. And um, the fire marshal stopped by with the chief of police, and uh, we wow. told them without a search without a search warrant they couldn't come in because they didn't have medical cards. Right and there, they stood. All they wanted wow. to see was that we weren't vending. It's like we're right. not vending. We're not. We're not keeping you from your tax. You know yeah. <laughs> that's all they're worried about. <laughs> so how much tax money can we get out of this and how many people can we put into private prisons? Okay, good. Right. So, yeah. you know, and for us, you know, it was at my restaurant. Um, you know, I was a little nervous too, but it, it was, it was great. The city knew what we were doing. Everyone knew what we were doing. And it was just, you know, so many people on the side of the road on a Sunday night and everyone's just wondering what's up, you know? Right. Well, so let me ask you, great. how, how does it, you know, how do you deal with the very recreational smoker? 
somebody who might or, or edible user who might take a little edible here or there who might, because I know that, that my tolerance has changed and that one of the fears, and it, it is a fear, I'm not going to lie about it. You know, it's a fear of how much, you know, if I take a square of this bar, I knows what I know what it does to me, but if I take a square of this bar, it's a totally different high or totally different reaction. How are you handling that? You know, because as a chef, you make a normal dinner, and I say normal in in the normal world that we're in, you make a normal dinner and you serve it to somebody and there isn't a reaction that is at this point now going to be mental or or something to that effect. It's not, you know, a euphoria when we make a dinner other than the flavor profile we're putting into it and whatnot. You are actually altering a mindset of a person through the use of... Uh, of, of a drug. So how do you handle that for me who would go out and say a girl that I'm dating who might eat an edible every six months? Does that make sense? The question? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Okay. Okay. We, we handle it much like, um, McDonald's handles their drugs of, of sugar and fat. Right. You know, they're, they're putting stuff in food, which alters your state of mind and makes you super happy. For a couple seconds, for us, then you fucking crash. Yep, and for us, um, for any one dish, there are five variations of that dish. So, for example, that dinner party we did at the Broad House, my restaurant in Old Town Scottsdale, we did a carbonara. We did a penne carbonara, which was super incredible, and it had five different variations. One was not medicated. One was CBD only. One was CBD THC, one was medium dose, and one was high dose. So and you order that stuff. as you're going through. And is that something that That's a, right. a server is, is, you know, how would you like your steak medium rare? Okay, great. How yep. would you like your salad right. with vinaigrette? Really? Yeah. So you're not yep. only cooking a meal with the utilization of product, you're now also, are you making five different batches of this or are you adding tincture Absolutely. and whatnot? That's what it is. Okay. Okay. So go ahead. I'm sorry. You make five different batches, five different batches, five different bane marines. Dude, it is, it is the Get future the of dining. Out. And you did this for two fifty no. on that first night. Four fifty For four fifty. Get the yeah. fuck out of here. Sorry. I hate we to be that negative this. about something so awesome. Do it. But, Do it. Yeah. Because it, it sounds massive. unbelievable. It totally I mean, it, does. it is like having five different Caesar salad dressings on your station to make a Caesar and you cannot fuck this up. Right. You have, you you're, you're literally, ex- you have five different allergies at the same table. That's it. Great point. That's it. You have five yeah. different allergies at the same table. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. That's hard. That, dude, I, I would I, love to do a, a dinner with you just to, just to, I'll be a prep cook, brother. I would love to do something with you. That would be awesome. Let's do one out there. Let's do one out there. Yeah. You book it. That's awesome. You book it. We'll bring it. I mean, it is super fun. And and the thing is, brother, is we've had, in in the two years of doing these dinner parties, we've had zero overconsumption problems. Zero. And I I would tell you, because I want to say this is what we did when we had it, you know? Right. And we've had zero. We've had zero. We set it up like you would see a food festival set up where there's tables of other brands and other edible companies. And 
we had one edible company tell us that they would do it only if they got exclusivity. And we're like, fuck you. We're an edible company. We don't even want exclusivity. Shut right. up. You know, yeah. <laughs> shut up. I don't so, even want to talk to people like that. So hold on. So let me, I want to back up because I got completely caught up in the fact that you're making five different batches or five different, five, you know, five, I mean, seriously, five different batches in reality. I'll have carbonara. Yeah. Okay, great. Which one would you like? Light, you know, heavy. That's right. So shit. Yeah. That's crazy. So, so go ahead. So back, so kind of explain that to me. You were saying you guys have steam tables and Bay Marie's and, and all sorts of stuff in mm -hmm. different, you know, places. So go ahead. So the, the math, the math comes in in the day and we all sit down and we go over our Mise Plus and you go over it just like you would if you were using, you know, dry farm tomatoes and stuff like this. And, and we go through with the farmers, you know, what they grew and how they extracted it. And then the lab, um, the lab results come out and then we do math. You know, we couldn't do math without regulation. You know, we couldn't do math yeah. if there wasn't someone saying, Hey, this must be tested because you know, nobody would get this stuff tested now that, you know, we're getting stuff tested and we have lab results and we have something to go off of. We can create a stable dining experience. You know, we can do that. Yeah. I mean, it was the rest, it was the restaurant industry that created the speakeasy and we did the same thing with cannabis, you know, and then just got it out in the right way. You know, we sat right. down and went, there needs to be a no THC. There needs to be a CBD only. And you know, the one-to-one -one is two milligrams of CBD and two milligrams of THC. The so medium was 10 mil. Yeah. The medium dose is 10 milligrams and the high dose was 25. And okay. people are like, well, what if I want, what if I need 500 milligrams? You know, well, then we tell people there's a table for that too. We have a complete separate table set up with little petty fours, which we call petty four twenties. They're little petty fours of 50, it, 100, 50 and a, yeah, That's awesome. 50 and a hundred milligrams. So if wow. you are a 500 milligram person, you can go eat all of your stuff. Sure. And people go, you have that table at every event and there's been no overconsumption. No. Cause unlike a hangover, when you've consumed too much cannabis, you don't want to do that again. Right. Yeah. You learn your lesson. Yeah. It's the truth. It, it, it's not like a hangover where your relatives, you know, make you puke and rally and have a couple before you go. Fuck. And, you know, it's not like that. Get a set of balls. Get, Get another another balls. That's right, chef. Get another yeah. drink. And, crazy, you know, man. and for me, I, I as a non-drinking chef, I want to show the industry that that there is happy out there. There is the value add to your profession as a chef, and it's learning how to make your own bubble hash and fractionating that into your own oils and then doing it all in your own self-sustainable kitchen. And that's what I'm out over the next five years, making my mission to teach as many chefs out there, man, woman, right. or, or other beings, how to use this so that it adds value to their restaurant so that they don't fold because they couldn't make the margins because they were buying, you know, baby carrots for 70 cents a carrot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I, I want to be able to help. To, I, I mean, I lost a hundred thousand dollars in the restaurant business two years ago and I still pay that shit and it hurts. Yeah. 
and it yeah. hurts hard. You know, it's a burn. And I did it because I wasn't smart. Right. I learned a lot from that. Yeah. And, um, you know, what I main thing that I learned is when you have a concept, hold it, <laughs> hold on to it. And Absolutely. To it. Yeah. I'm a firm believer. I say it to my, my clients all the time. Yeah. What is your concept? If your concept is sell the greatest meatball in the world, then fucking own it. Yeah. Do it the right way. Don't and have, don't have Buffalo yeah. wing night on Tuesday night then. That's right. Yeah. Own what it is Why? that you're doing. Why? Yeah. So, yeah, and and this was a, a Peruvian ceviche concept that I that I built out and I funded, you know, a good part of it, and and uh, the operating partner just like you said did chicken wings on Tuesdays, and we're a meatball yeah. company, you know, we were we were a ceviche place doing two for one tacos on Tuesdays, paying ten thousand a month in rent. You're not gonna yep. you're not gonna pay rent doing that, you know, and it yeah. folded it, you know, almost a year. And it was brutal. And, and now coming out of that, you know, it's, uh, it's cannabis all, all, all day, all night. And, and just wow. trying to teach, teach the kitchens, you know? Yeah. So that's huge, man. So, so I, 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 just, I have to get, I have a couple little, a couple, couple, couple little questions that we've been on for, we've been chatting for 45 minutes and I, I, I feel we could probably go for another two, but you're on vacation and I've got to go get a flight. But so how are you, how are you handling the, I mean, I guess I have a lot of questions about the legality of certain parts of it. And especially when it comes into the, the government in a federal manner, I, a couple of weeks ago, I actually interviewed a guy who is, I used to, I went to middle school with him and he owns a company called kind financial and he runs a seed to sale POS system. And he saw the, the need or, or, or the, the, really, yeah, the need for people to be able to put their money in a place because you can't do, you know, at the, this was the onsetting stages of it where you couldn't put it into a bank because the bank was like, well, where'd you get the fucking money from? You know, this is weed money. We're not going to touch it or whatever. So how is there a legality that you have within that when it comes to the financial aspect of it for what you're doing? Or is it not really touching the edible world? It's only touching the flower world or the medicine world, I guess I could say, the medicinal? So I don't even know if that question sure. makes sense. Yeah. But. yeah. I, um, I was recently kicked out of Wells Fargo for the rest of my life. Um, they <laughs> sent me my And they're, and they're such a the great, mail. great judgmental group themselves. It's amazing. Yeah. Great point. Great point. Um, uh, stating that my money was going to be held in a, in a third party account while they audit my banking and that I would never be allowed to, uh, to put my money personal or business into Wells Fargo ever again. Wow. Uh, so then I went, yep. So they held my money for uh, a little over a month. Uh, and then I, I had to go in there and make my car payments in my house, uh, payment. And I went in there and I sat down and I said, I'd like to make my payments. And, you know, I've been a Wells Fargo customer since 1988. And, uh, you know, they came out and they said, Oh, you have your banking card. I said, well, you kicked me out. So, uh, I can't use my banking card. And she said, Oh, well, we'd love to get you back into Wells Fargo. I said, well, I'm in the cannabis space. So you can't do that. And she's like, Oh, well, what are you here for then? And her attitude completely shifted. Totally changed. Isn't that amazing? Totally changed. It totally Unbelievable. changed. And she called over a store, the branch manager to sit down 
And uh, I said, well, I'm here to make my car payment and my home mortgage. And she said, oh, because it's not direct withdrawal now, because I, I, I didn't have an account with Wells Fargo, it was going to be an extra $50 per payment because it wasn't direct withdrawal. Wow. And I looked at this lady and I said, lady, I said, you're higher than I am if you think that I'm going to pay some fee because I'm in here to pay for my home mortgage and my two car payments because you kicked me out. Right. And I put the cash down. I put the cash down for those three payments. I said, so who the fuck's laundering money now if you're making me pay cash for this stuff into you? <laughs> the fuck is that? And she brilliant. goes, what did you say? I said, who's laundering money now? Yeah, Who's exactly. laundering the money? And she, she looked me in the face and said, if you don't leave right now, we're going to call the police for harassment, is what she told me. Holy to shit. my face. Yeah. I said, if you don't take my money, <laughs> then you're going to take my house and my car, and I'm not going to be able to go anywhere. So yeah. I need you to take my money. So for the last three months, I've gone in there and paid cash just because. Fuck you, right. Wells Fargo. You're laundering the money now. That's but uh, crazy. the thing is, man, is they send me they send me stuff in the mail. They want to give me personal loans. Yeah, they want to give, give you a toaster for signing your bank account. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking yeah. crazy. But in the business in the business side of it, um, when we do these dinner parties, it uh, it all goes to um, an event company. Okay. So it's it's a lot of donations from from Flourish. It's a lot of donations from the other edible companies and oil companies. Right. And it, and it has to stay that way until the cities figure out and figure out fee. what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Now, now you, you, now you can't make money when you've given yourself a legal window to make it. You can't figure out how to make it. Yeah. It's not my problem. So what we'll a, do is we'll pop open restaurants. Yeah, go ahead. No, there, there was, there was, a, I don't know if you saw the documentary. It was kind of a, a docudrama series that was, that was not a docudrama. It was a fucking documentary, a reality TV show about the couple in Breckenridge who had the medicinal place on main street. And the day that Colorado had gone recreational um, and they were open for, I believe it was 14 hours. And the next day, you know, this 26 year old girl is walking into the tax office with $48,000 in cash from their first day <laughs> of recreational sales. And, and, and where, how, and, and there's still a massive cloud to try to figure that out. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, you guys have to put your money into a secondary location before it can go anywhere else. So it's making it that much harder for you to operate your business. You know, you don't have it's, cash on demand at that moment. That's right. That's right. And it's, it's tough. And that's why, you know, companies like uh, the one that your friend started, I mean, they're needed. Yeah. They're needed. I need to, you I'd know, love to drive around. Guys. It'd be great. You know, yeah, even very in, in Arizona, guy, even so. in Nevada, we just need to keep our money safe because yeah. keeping our money safe keeps the prices lower. You yeah. know, if, if we have access to our funds, then, then we can project and, and purchase and, and do it smart, you know? And one of the things that Flourish has done is we've done, uh, you know how you, they have those, uh, community supported agriculture boxes where you get, you know, you spend 50 bucks a week and you get a box every week. 
Yeah, we, CSA. We did the opposite. Yeah, the CSA flourish um, in both states. When our delivery trucks aren't in use, we allow small farmers, non-cannabis farmers, to use our refrigerated delivery trucks so that they can take cold produce to the farmer's markets and sell oh, wow. ice cold produce. So now in Arizona, for us, we're seeing the small farmer really start to excel because of cannabis businesses like ours, you know, right. sharing sharing what you got, you know. It's a, so it's a pretty it's cool a, community. <laughs> It is. And that's what everybody's afraid of. They're afraid of what they're seeing, which is a lot of bartering, which we've always had yeah. in cannabis, you know, and that's what everyone is freaked out about because if, you know, if you have two kilos of distillate and I have six pounds of weed and then we trade, well, who gets the taxes? Well, there's yeah. no money exchange. Well, wait, I want my taxes. You know, yeah. so that's what we're seeing now. in a lot of the new States is they set up these new standards where you, have to pay based on a set commodity tax, which is yeah. fucked up. But you know they got to get their money. We're, and you know I keep I keep talking about this over and over again, and it's and I I, I don't know if people just think that it's because I smoke weed or that I'm actually kind of onto something. But we're we're imagine during prohibition if we had the the futuristic foresight of where we are right now. You know, we are watching a prohibition be, unra- you know, unraveled yeah. in front yeah. of our eyes. And, That's true. you know, think about, I mean, and, you know, we think about the alcohol space and we think about the moves that they've made. You look at Constellation, who owns Corona, who's bought into farms. You know, mm-hmm. we're watching, mm-hmm. we're watching an innovative world take something and completely turn it around and say, fuck you, you're wrong in a way, in a negative way, in a negative way. That's what I'm saying. In a positive way, we, I have, I've tried to take advantage of that, you know, through purchase of stocks in certain areas and stuff like that. But it's pretty awesome to see. And I've really gotten very interested in this whole, this whole world of it, because after talking to a cannabis doctor, after talking to a chef like you who takes something that I hold so dear to my heart, which is the food, you know, the center of the plate, yeah. the, everything that goes along with that. And you're doing something that is one beneficial to people two, fucking progressive, which is brilliant. Mm. It's brilliant. I love yeah. it. And that's why I wanted to talk to you. You know, that's one of the reasons why I've been so adamant that. about this. So, yeah, but um, all right. It's so been a great I've, journey, I've, man. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. I'd love to talk yeah. to you more. You know, I, I'd love to. So, so let's definitely connect outside of here. And you know, why don't you do me a favor one more time? Tell us uh, something about yourself and about Flourish and how people can can get in touch with you or find you or hire you or shit. Sit down and smoke a joint with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my uh, my full name's Peyton Jacob Curry. It's it's uh, it's an interesting world out there for me. What I plan to do and hope to do is wake up the endocrine system and the endocannabinoid system in children before they're teens, before they're adults, and before they're in hospice. Unfortunately, now uh, families reach out to me when their parents are in hospice or when their children are having seizures. Um, it's starting to be more and more about these dinner parties, which is super engaging. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we're here to awaken that endocannabinoid system that's been asleep for far too long. And as a cook, that's what I, that's what I aim to do is, is wake that motor up 
that's been dormant in your body because of fear. That's it. And through these dinner parties, you know, we're doing CBD birthday cakes for kids now and stuff. So it's, it's super fun and it's coming to fast. And yeah, and it's coming fast because it's in the people, it's in the people, it's in the restaurants. It's, you know, it's, it's coming strong. And, you know, we, uh, we intend to teach any and all chefs, uh, from around the world, how to use this plant, whether it's legal in their countries and States or not. I want them to see the fast track on how to cook with cannabis. So they don't make the costly mistakes that I've made. Yeah. Cost me a lot of money to teach myself how to cook with this because there isn't somebody out there showing people how to do it. Right. You know? Right. Everyone wants to. Wow. It's trade secret. Fuck that. It's food. Yeah, it's not a trade exactly. secret. I mean, it's, it's, Jesus. yeah. That's wild, man. So, well, it is, man. Uh, well, Peyton, dude, I really appreciate your time, man, especially this early in the morning. And uh, I hope you had a good shot. At, you know, I hope you had a good, a good experience with being on, you know, on having your own track and your own Absolutely. session at nightclub and bar. It's really important to me to, to hear that, that stuff. And, and that's really cool. So um, I appreciate your time, dude. Big time. This was highly informational. I really enjoyed it. It was good to talk to you, man. Hey, thank you. Appreciate you, man. That's uh, that's pretty awesome, man. You know, we're uh, we're 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 in a coming of age at this point right now. We're at a a a a, a, a this amazing journey. Um, you know, we have the ability at this point right now to watch the progression of something pretty impressive happening. Um, something that, uh, you know, has been kind of classified as a, a gateway drug and, and, you know, it's going to fuck your life up and you're going to end up fat and lazy and sitting around and, you know, playing video games all day and, and ruining your life is, is, is going away. That whole stigma of that is really making a change. Um, you know, finding the medicinal benefits of this and what goes into it and finding the different, av- different avenues that we really have to, to kind of, you know, one, not only make money off, of it because that's the ultimate route, you know, for what a lot of people have, but it's great to have a conversation uh, with a guy like this who, you know, saw the, saw the, 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 this visionary kind of tunnel. Um, and was able to hop through that wormhole for a little while and come out to where he is right now. So, you know, Peyton, Hey brother, that was, that was a great conversation. I really enjoy it. So, um, you know, after, uh, an hour and a half long podcast, we all know, uh, how I feel about that. We don't want them to go too long. Uh, I appreciate you guys for being here and checking this out and listening to us. Uh, do me a favor, follow me everywhere you can on chef Brida. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook is chef. Brian Duffy, I apologize as I kind of yawn through that. I have had a long night and week in Vegas, and uh, I'm excited to get home today. So uh, thank you guys so much for watching. Let me thank a couple of people that we always have to do. We've got to thank the boys down at RadioInfluence.com for their unbelievable awesomeness. We've also got to thank Maggie Gagliardi, who does all of our... Uh, illustrations and whatnot for putting all of them together and getting them done with such a great uh, vigor and uh, sense of creativity. I love it. Um, Michelle out at Techno Solution, who just does a wonderful job with my website and, and everything that kind of happens through the world that I live in through Duffified Live and my company and, you know, everything else that I do. So um, thank you guys so much. Have an awesome week. I'm super stoked to get with you guys for next week. And uh, I'll talk to you later, man. Take care. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified checkmark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. 
This is a Jim Fannin Show Quick Fix on Radio Influence. How many people right today are working from dawn to dusk and beyond into going to sleep at night? Your brain is like seven hamsters running on seven treadmills simultaneously. And those treadmills represent a different part of your life. Subconscious mind never shuts down. It's open like Denny's 24-7, always cooking. But you got to turn off your conscious mind. You do. And replenish it. And I think that's one of the secrets of having mental endurance so that you can have a great quarter. The Jim Fannin Show can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.